anyway, I'm glad to be here this morning with you. And uh, interestingly, with Joe's prayer, I found out about a year ago that I had cancer and uh, I was operated on in, in uh, February of last year and then I've been going through radiation. But the interesting thing is I've had almost no pain whatsoever from the cancer, but I do have had a lot of pain that Joe's talking about where I feel, feel like in the operation I pulled a muscle or twisted a nerve somehow. So I've had this massive pain that Joe talked about too. So, uh, And uh, anyway, uh, I worked with high school students for 40 years. So if you can see any scars on my face, it's all related to that. <laughs> and uh, so uh, one of the things that I did every year with high school students, which relates to what we're talking about today, is I asked them as in, a, in a group, when have you felt most fulfilled in your life? And interestingly, the high school students basically over and over again, you think they would have talked about this great present they got at Christmas or when their father bought them a car or when they, you know, something else happened where they got something. But everyone, every year, basically said the same thing, and that was when I gave something sacrificial to somebody else whether it was deciding in secret to go to the older person next door's house and cut their lawn or do their leaves, or when I saved up a whole lot of money and gave a present to a friend of mine that was sick, when we all went and visited our friend that was in the hospital. But, you know, just a tremendous thing that over and over again, the thing that they felt most fulfilled and most significant in life is when they were able to give something to somebody else. And we're going to be talking about that today, but, you know, the power in giving in secret is what the Sermon on the Mount talks about. Now, uh, before I became a Christian, you know, interestingly, today, one of my friends actually who was very influential in me becoming a Christian, Dan Broadwater, and I were students at Towson State, and Dan became a Christian, and then shortly after was very influential in me becoming a Christian, but we were both atheists, and I was more of a socialist than Dan was. I don't know if he ever gave up his capitalist standpoints, but the thing was, in, even in our search in those days, the thing that stood out for everybody was the significance of the Sermon on the Mount. And so, you know, you take people like Gandhi and other people that are great and influential people, they all had somewhat of an influence from the Sermon on the Mount. And the reason is, is that, uh, you know, what you've been focusing on, the Sermon on the Mount, it is the path to becoming fully human. It is the path to freedom and to abundance. And part of the reason why, it's one of the greatest sermons ever preached by the greatest teacher of all time, by the smartest man that ever lived, and the most joyous person that ever lived. So if you can catch the beauty of the Sermon on the Mount, I remember I was in this church 40 years ago, but at the same time I read a book by David Martin Lloyd-Jones called The Sermon on the Mount. And ever since then I've been thinking about the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Meadow Ministry, every year for the last couple of years, I've been teaching a group of people in a year-long thing on what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. And, you know... From my standpoint as an atheist and a socialist looking at the Sermon on the Mount, I thought it might be like a very, very important philosophical statement or a very important theological statement. 
This is not what the Sermon on the Mount is about. It's really very practical, down-to-earth spirituality that leads, like I said before, to freedom and abundance. It is the ultimate statement on spirituality, but it isn't this high-in-the-sky kind of spirituality. It is the kind of spirituality that gets down to what we live in every single day. And so it's giving you, all of us, a very practical way to be spiritual. And it's most practical issues of the day is what it really begins to talk about. And the more you get into the Sermon on the Mount, the more you're going to see that the Sermon on the Mount is all about very, very practical issues that relate to you becoming a fully human spiritual person. So what I want to do is I want to talk about the idea that really is the Sermon on the Mount and your series is going to be focusing on in the next three and the next three uh, issues. And in each of those issues, the central idea is whatever you do spiritually, the highest level of doing it spiritually is doing it in secret. And so if you look at a couple of these verses in the next, in the next three sections, you'll see it's the highest level of spirituality and it's the highest level of being human. And first of all, it says... When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secrecy. And then in prayer, see, he's talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees who are all about their spirituality is all exterior. They wore the right robes. They prayed very, very spiritually in public. Their giving was all announced to everybody in the congregation. And Jesus is giving a completely opposite viewpoint in terms of what spirituality is all about. And then he says in prayer, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And then in fasting, but you could generalize this to all the disciplines. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And what we're doing when we're operating in our highest level of spirituality is we're imitating the way the Father, God the Father, operates in the universe. Listen to this quote by Henry Nouwen. The Lord is at the center of all things in such a quiet, unobtrusive, and elusive way. You know, a lot of the Europeans say that God is a silent God. God is humble in what he's doing. He's very quiet and would be often it would be easy to miss that God is in the midst of us because he is so humble and so quiet in the way he does things. Let's be clear about three things when we're talking about giving. First of all, giving isn't just about giving money, but that's a very, very important thing. It's also about giving in our time and our talents and our possessions to the kingdom. It's, it's about this reality that we all are told by the things of the world and the evil one that we live in a world of scarcity. That we've got to hold on to every single thing that we have because there's only a little bit of resources that exist out in the universe. And so if we lose the things that we have, there's no way to replace this. And so 
Instead of that, we live in a a world of abundance. And I'm going to talk more about that. Not a world of scarcity. And you don't have to worry. The more you give, you know, and this is not the best motive, the more you will receive. But the receiving isn't necessary tat for tat. The receiving is maybe you give money, but you're blessed in a great way just because you gave money. Giving money doesn't mean you're going to get more money back, but you're going to get more abundance back. God has promised to take care of us, and so it's irrelevant. You don't have to give money for him to take care of you. And so the three, three things are we live in a world of abundance, not scarcity. Second thing is God does not need you to give. Okay? This might blow your mind, but in practical realities, the God of the universe has everything in his hands, and he doesn't need you to give money. The second thing is, the third thing is, giving is more than just about money, what I said earlier. It's also about our time, our talents, and our possessions. And so have we sectioned off our our possessions? Have we sectioned off our time and our talents? And that's not part of our spirituality. Giving your life fully to another person in need or giving your life to any person is just as valuable as giving money. Now, I want to elaborate a little bit more on this. Is generosity is the culture of the universe. And so we give because God, who is the ultimate giver of all things, we are imitating him. But look at the universe. Do we live in a universe that's very, very utilitarian, that everything that exists only exists for a purpose? Is it a very, very small perspective where we're trying to create this very, very small world? Is that the scope of the universe? The last thing I read about the number of stars in the universe is that there are 306 trillion stars. Six trillion is one, you know, million, billion, trillion, whatever fourth billion is, fifth billion, six trillion. And that is in the reality of that they have not seen all the stars in the universe, plus also the reality that the universe is continuing to expand. And so, you know, generosity is the the culture of the universe. Look at all the flowers that exist in the universe. Most of them have no utilitarian purpose. They have a purpose of just beauty, and beauty is enough. Look at the animals and the diversity of the animals that are out there. It's amazing. You go to a zoo, or if you begin to look at a book about the number of animals that are out there, this is not a scant universe and scant amount of animals. It's a universe full of just amazingly beautiful and wonderful animals. You look at people, you look at the development of the human body, all the cells and everything that's involved in our human body. It's amazing and it's very complicated and, you know, just, again, another example of the generosity of the universe. And so we live, the, the universe, generosity is the culture of the universe. God has given us this amazing amount, and God also wants us to imitate that, and we live in that, that we don't have to fear that if we give something away, that we're actually going to hurt us. When we give away, much more is given to us. And so in our generosity, we become like God because God is generous. 
And God wants to give us all things. And some of you are out there saying, well, why don't I have all things? And I'm going to say to you, God only gives good things. And a lot of things that you want may be not what God wants to give you. But he is giving you in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You have everything that you need. And it becomes a, a, a thing of recognizing it. It's all there. And the Psalm 23 was written as David reflected back on life. So I'm going to put a verse up to describe God's love, a word that's going to describe God's love. I want you to look at this verse. And it's a little bit uh, confusing, but this was a verse that the desert fathers used to describe God. He called it, they called it disinterested love. So if you look at that word, what does that mean? Is God disinterested in us? Is that what God's love is? That's clearly not what it's trying to say. Are there any bankers in here? Anybody work in the banking business, the loan business? So if you look at this verse very closely, the key word is the middle word there of interest. Disinterest meaning that God as a banker, not God, not God as a banker, but a banker, when he gives a loan, he has interest in that loan. And what is the interest that he has in that loan? To get a profit, right? So he gives you a loan because he's going to make money off of your loan. And so disinterested love, the disinterested love of God is basically saying that God is not looking to get anything back for the love that he gives you. So there, he has no interest in terms of what he wants from you in order to love you. Which means that in order to receive God's love, you don't have to perfectly obey him. You don't have to perfectly pray. You don't have to perfectly serve. You don't have to perfectly give. God loves you just because you are you and because he created you. He wants nothing back from you in order for him to love you. And so all your service and all those things that you're doing, all your giving, if you're doing it because you want to get God's love, you're not really working in the, way, the ways of the universe. You know, there's another level, a higher level of doing all those things than just doing it to try to get God's favor. You don't need to do those things to get God's labor, favor because he has his love is, does not want anything back in terms of, his, of what he gives you the love for. His love is disinterested. In the modern world, we call that unconditional love. That he loves us unconditionally, not because of anything that we're doing for him or anything that we are, but just because we exist. And so the love of God gives without expectation. And all spirituality, the act is more important than the motivation, and we're moving to the next point. And that becomes, what is the motivation for serving? What is the motivation for giving? What is the motivation for obeying? And so, if our motivation for doing any of those things is, you know, we want to be good because we want to please God, 
we've sort of fallen into the whole idea of Santa Claus. And so you're going to get good gifts at Christmas if you've been a good boy or girl your, the whole, your whole year. And what is your motivation for <coughs> giving? Are you giving because you want to give something back, get something back from God? Or are you giving, you know, just to serve and, and to give to the kingdom? And sec- second of all, uh, are you giving to justify yourself? So I've given this money, so I feel good about myself because I've given this money. We're giving to try to impress other people. And that's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees did. They had a great assembly and they wanted to let everybody know. They walked front and gave this great amount of money. But God, Jesus, honored the widow who gave out of her poverty, not the person that gave out of their wealth. Are we giving to try to get a higher place in heaven? And are we giving just 10%? And so we feel satisfied that we've met the standard if we gave 10%. For some people, 5% could be a very significant giving, a very powerful giving. For some people, there's some friends of mine at Grace Fellowship that were moving very deeply in terms of wealth. They were giving 50% of their income. And the reality of the matter is, you know, one of the most difficult things to do is I've known a lot of people that have come into a lot of money And it's very, very hard for them even to keep up of giving 10% because they basically think, wow, now I'm making like $500,000. Could I possibly be giving $50,000 away? And so the amount of money that they're making, they haven't been able to give their money to that level. And so they've been, you know, holding back the reality of what, you know, of what God could do in their life. And so there isn't a standard in terms of, you know, from a Christian standpoint of you should give 10% or you should give 5% or you should give 50%. You should give out of the generosity of your heart. And I'm, you know, having worked in Youth for Christ, I've been involved in giving for 40 years and giving out of the, you know, the depths of your own heart and the generosity is what it is all about. For some people to give $10, that's an extremely sacrificial giving. For some people to give $50,000 is totally meaningless because they're making so much more than that, you know, than just the, what, what $50,000 represents in their life. And so in our motivations before God, the Sermon on the Mount in the earlier passages says, says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And so the reality of the matter is Your motivation is your pureness of heart. Why are you giving? Are you giving to try to say, now I'm a good Christian because I'm giving? Are you serving to try to say to God, God, I'm serving, so you should love me now? But the higher motivation is to give with you out any any kind of interest, getting any interest back, not tit for tat. You're not giving because you want a higher place in heaven. You're not giving because it makes you feel like a better Christian. You're giving with the same kind of love that God has, the disinterested giving, without looking for any kind of interest, but just sort of what the scriptures say, a hilarious kind of giving where you're giving, and it's almost sort of funny that you're kind of giving. And so I want to talk a little bit about levels of giving. In other words, 
at the very smallest level of giving and moving up to some of the higher levels of giving. The lowest level of giving is this level, and that's giving because you have to or you must. I'm going to give you a very challenging statement now. If that's the reason why you're giving, don't give. Enter into the freedom of being able to give out of the depth of your heart, not because you have to. There's no beauty whatsoever in giving because you have to or because you want to or because you, uh, because you must. The second level of giving is entering into the joy of giving, giving hilariously, not just 10%. And so you're giving out of what you feel God wants you to give. Now, there's some beautiful, beautiful stories in terms of people giving hilariously in very, very secret ways. A friend of mine was involved in a project of raising a major thing for a Christian organization. Their goal was to raise $35 million. They raised $25 million. He goes to the mail one day, opens up the mail, and there's an anonymous check in the mail for $10 million. And... You know, the beauty of this person of not wanting any honor for what he gave in terms of that money and learning to hear and to listen to what God has to say to you in terms of what he wants you to give. And so then having the courage and the obedience to go ahead and follow through with that. Now, about 20 years ago, we were... You know, we, well, for 20 years we were doing this major conference in Ocean City called Impact and Alive. And over, the, over a 25-year period, we had 100,000 students and their leaders come to the conferences. And we were always living on the edge. Well, one year we were on the brink of having a major, major conference. And the conference was in March. And we were expecting about 3,000 kids there. Well, unfortunately, in the middle of February, which is a month and a half away, we had no money in the bank, nothing. And so we have this big thing in front of us that was going to cost probably, you know, $100,000, $150,000. There was no way possible. But in terms of where we were immediately is I have a staff of 25 people, and we have no money whatsoever to pay anybody. And so I get up in the morning, which I usually do, and I'm sitting there praying and going, man, this is a hopeless situation. There's just no way possible that this could, could do that. But immediately, we needed $25,000 in order to do what we needed to do at that point in terms of paying payroll. So I prayed, and God gave me the name of a person. He said, call him up and ask him to go out for lunch. So I go out with him to lunch, and they said, basically, you know, I'm feeling that God wants me to give you a check. And said, I think, you know, I think what he wants to do, he wants me to give you a check for $25,000. Now, I never asked him for money. I never told him what the, what the reality of what we needed, you know. But here's what I'm saying to you is learning to tune in to what God wants you to do is a, and to do what he wants you to do and to take the risk of what he wants you to do. Basically, you know, that becomes a very, very powerful way of giving, that it isn't people coming just asking you to give, but basically you're, you're, giving to, you're, you're willing to give whatever God wants you to give, whatever that may mean. And there's no calculation, there's no benefit, there's nothing, they just do that. Well, the amazing thing about that is that 
set in process a series of very powerful things. And this was one year after a Col the Columbine event, the Columbine shooting, and we had Father Daryl Scott coming and speaking at the conference. And so because of you know, how significant the Columbine event was all over the country, there were you know, people following him, all kinds of news people were following him, there were people following him in all kinds of you know, TV stations and everything. So we get ready to have the conference. By then, not only had we gotten $25,000, but the money to pay for the conference too, because the $25,000 was almost like seed money to put us in place. And what happened is we ended up having one of the most powerful conferences that we, we ever had. CNN was there. CBN was there. There was a picture that a lady from the Washington Post put on the National News Service that our president of Youth for Christ in Denver woke up the next morning and saw this picture of 3,000 students at Youth for Christ in Ocean City listening to Daryl Scott from Columbine, front page in, in the Denver paper. And so the seed money and giving in terms of opportunity and giving in terms of listening to what God wants you to give, you know, then you're entering into a really more and more powerful place in terms of kingdom giving, of giving to, to what you, God, you know, is able to instruct you. And the thing about it is, I think we would all say of learning to give in secret, we know is a very powerful place. We've all done things for other people, not looking for any affirmation, but doing it because we know that's the right thing to do. And giving in secret is a very, very powerful place where you're not looking for anything, but you're very quietly doing what you know God wants you to do. And then what I want to do to end this time is I want to challenge you about a few things in terms of giving. And again, we're giving in the context of a universe that is generous. We're giving in the context of God not requiring us to give, but give, giving in the context of wanting to give so that we can enter into his kingdom, so that we can expand his kingdom so that we can go out and do the things that God wants to do amidst the people. So he's asking us to become partners. The first thing I'd really challenge you to do is to release yourself into the joy of giving. And so, you know, whatever, wherever you are right now, if you're giving nothing, begin taking steps and having a little bit of courage to give a little bit more. But not because you're going to become a better Christian, but because that's a place where there's great joy. This giving in secret is the ultimate in human spirituality. It's like a very, very high place. The second thing I'm going to challenge is sort of a negative standpoint. If you're giving because you feel like you have to give or you must give, I'm going to tell you, stop giving. There's no point in giving at that point if that's what you feel like you have to do, that you must do. You know, the Sermon on the Mount is calling us to release ourselves fully to what the kingdom's all about, to the joy of the kingdom, to the generosity of the kingdom. And then giving hilarious, hilariously, giving in a sense that where you're giving beyond maybe even what you can afford to give. But if God's leading you to do that, I'm not asking you to give 
when you have massive bills, I'm asking you to give hilariously, maybe to push yourself on the edge and to give it a place where, you know, it's just sort of funny the amount of money that you're giving. And then learning to give in secret. So, now that's not always possible, but, you know, so when you give to the church, sometimes you obviously make the check out to the church and people know that. But you can be very quiet in terms of how much money am I giving? Nobody has to know how much you're giving except for the people that are cashing the check. And then there are a lot of times, you know, in this world, it's, you know, it's not always a tax benefit that God is asking you to give. If there's something out there that you're not going to get a tax benefit from, you know, I think we get locked into a bad space by having to give because it's, it's benefiting us in terms of tax. It's almost like interested kind of love because we benefit from that. Very little, but we benefit from it. But learn to give where there isn't, you don't necessarily get any benefit, even a tax benefit from it. So there are four challenges I have for you. Now, what I want to do is let's take a minute or two of silence. And as we're doing that, I want you to reflect back of everything that I said. What is the one thing that most stands out to you today? What is the one thing that God wants you to remember? What is the one thing God wants you to build principles on? Maybe for some of you, and I'm not saying this is universal, but God is saying something to you, I need to increase my giving, you know, whether that's in time, talents, or, or money, or possessions, or maybe I need to say to myself, you know, what is it that God's asking me to do maybe for somebody else? And so let's have a time of quiet for about a minute or so. The, the uh, people are going to come up and end us with a song after I pray. But let's be quiet. What is it that most stands out to you that I said this morning? Father, we thank you that you love us just because you love us. Let us enter more and more deeply into the depths of the love that you have for us. And as Paul has prayed... Pray, Father, that all of us here would be able to see the height, the width, the depth, and the length of the love that you have for us. It's for Christ's name and his honor and glory we pray. Amen.